We welcome into the program Josh Neighbors from the podcast Locked On Big 12. Josh, good morning. How are you? I'm well, guys. How are you all? Terrific. We appreciate your time. A lot of a uh, lot of football news to get to, and let's start. Uh, let's start at the top with the NCAA. Were you surprised that the that the that Mark Emmert has decided to, to step away from the NCAA. Yes, because they extended his contract pretty recently, so he's not going to see the end of that contract, much like Bob Bowlesby is not going to see the end of his contract with the Big 12. So I think that's interesting that those two won't see the end of their contracts. But, um, you know, I think it's the right time considering how much change the NCAA is going through and – They've got some soul-searching to do about what, what's next for them, especially as it relates to football. I, I think for the basketballs and for baseball and for softball and sports like that, the NCAA's involvement in putting on, uh, you know, I have to say, spectacular events like the Men's College World Series, like the Women's College World Series, like March Madness for Men and now March Madness for Women, um, you know, those are those are big events that are very good events. Just they really seem to screw pooch on the uh, on the on the on the football thing, which is the biggest thing for them. So that's that's a big question. It's hard to know what Mark Emmert's legacy is with the NCAA because I, I think it's it's not over yet, right? The, the book has yet to be written on what happens with the NCAA's involvement in college football. Who are some of the replacements that, that are being thrown around right now? Your guess is as good as mine. I mean, I, I think this is, you know, I, we talked about this last night with, with a, with a uh, group of people about, you know, what should the NCAA go for in a, in, in a um, you know, uh, somebody to run it? You know, do you want an old athletic director? Uh, do you want somebody who is the president? Um, do you want, like, the world's best event planner? Like, what, is, what do you really want with the NCAA now? Uh, I, I, to be honest, I have not looked at like list of replacements, but you know, just I'm trying to like rack my brain. Like I, I don't know which route you go. Um, do you go kind of with a young progressive, somebody who's more open to changes and would be able to kind of at least keep some involvement in, um, you know, in football, or do you go with somebody who's going to focus on making products such as March Madness? and the Women's College World Series and the Men's College World Series as good of products as possible and maintaining that stuff. You definitely can't find somebody who's going to, like, keep up the the rah-rah amateurism model stuff because that was Mark Emmert's play, and it came at the cost of not being forward-thinking. The NCAA was so stuck in just trying to maintain the amateur model that it's cost them. That's really what's cost them is their – their unwillingness to kind of look forward and to fight back potential change. And that's why, you know, these conferences embracing the change are going to end up running college football. So I think somebody, you know, that, that uh, it's going to depend on, on what they want the relationship with football to be about who's going to be the next, uh, next head of the NCAA. I know a couple of the candidates, I believe it was Pete Thamel that threw out there were Linda Livingstone, the president of Baylor and Oliver Luck. But which are both great candidates. But when you look at this job as a whole, do you really just what's the what's the promise of taking it? I feel like there's just too much baggage coming with that that nobody really wants to take that job. Yeah, I feel like whenever there's a new league or something happens, like Oliver Luck is like the first person we mentioned. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's always mentioned. So 
think it'd be an interesting one. Um, I, I think, and also I think the you know using Baylor president like that, that's that's a good way to go too with Linda Livingstone. Um, I I still think you know the NCAA is always going to have the NCAA tournament, which every single year is almost a billion dollar in the, you know industry. That's that's what it is. Now they they upped their contract a little bit earlier than they should have on the last one. Um, you know, while they still have eight years left, and they they upped it to, to, to 2032 now. So, um, but you still have that. So there's still this this ace in the hole that they have. Yeah, it's a difficult job, but it's the head of of, of a you know an organization that that does have a pretty big bank at their disposal, and it it can change things to be better. Like they can speed up their investigations. They can respond. Do complaints a little faster. They can treat schools better when they punish them, and not do things like they did to Missouri or Oklahoma State, and you know wait as long as they did for North Carolina, and, and take a back seat with the with Kansas, and then take a back seat with the FBI's investigation, stuff like that. They can be more proactive in fields such as those, and then fields such as NIL to work with. Okay. How about we make a set of rules that work for everybody as opposed to having states like Tennessee set the parameters or California set the parameters, and then they can make sure they set the parameters and eligibility. And then they also need to talk about the transfer portal. Like They could be more proactive and put a group together to focus on each one of those things. They just really haven't. And when they started fighting as much as they fought and lost, at that point is when they said, all right, well, we're not in any position to help, so we're just going to sit back. They can become a more proactive organization. It's just a matter of who is going to want to do that. That's 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 what I'm wondering. Josh, as we, as we continue talking about the NCAA, where do they fit in when it comes to college football? Is, is the CFP in charge of this thing, or are they working in conjunction? How, how, what's, what's, what's the model look like internally? Yeah, I so I think I think the the conference commissioners and presidents, the university presidents, the athletic directors are going to end up being in control of this thing. Jack Forbrick said as much, you know, in an interview with Sports Illustrated, and, and I think that's where this is heading. But a lot of that has to do, you know, I mean, that's kind of its own thing. But at this point, like, you know, the, the only way the NCAA could have partnered with that is if they were more forward thinking with nil like they they did everything they could to make sure that that could not happen they did not like you know that, that mark emmer always talked about amateurism and now holding the model as opposed to being like this is coming this is going to change and um you know as 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 opposed to were they wrong were, were they wrong yeah, they were. Yeah, they were wrong in doing that. Yeah, 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 yeah. A hundred percent wrong on that. I mean, but you have coaches, Josh. You have coaches right now that are saying that this NIL thing has gotten out of control, and you can't get the genie back in the bottle. Nick Saban's well, one of them. Well, he's right, but also they're in a good position to handle it. The reason why that this was going to change is that it was it was ridiculous. It was it was un, I mean, and borderline un-American. You could even argue that you can't make money off of like the Josh neighbor's name. If somebody wants to pay me a hundred thousand dollars, you know, to, to show up and, and shake hands and sign autographs, just because I play for Georgia football, doesn't mean it doesn't mean that I shouldn't be able to do that. The problem was they fought tooth and nail to make sure that there was no policy. Maybe if they were more 
if they were more forward thinking, they could have done things like, look, okay, how do we spread this money out? How do we make sure we don't have kids getting paid $8 million to go to Tennessee by some collective? And we're not even sure how the kid is going to be doing the advertising. Is he, is he just getting paid or is he doing anything for the money? Which is kind of where it's at, isn't it? Exactly. But they, and it's because they didn't do it. They, they fought it as opposed to, okay, how do we make sure there's a set of rules that, that allows everybody to play by the same game? Because when NIL became you know, popular, it was because state laws were in place for, for like California and for Florida. And those schools had a temporary advantage, but they had a chance to set the rules for what was happening. And instead, they kept going to court and trying to fight it in what was inevitably and pretty clearly a losing battle. They spent a ton of money, time, and effort in something that was eventually going to lose out. And they find themselves now in this situation where, you know, we just had, I forgot what the specific rule was last week, but Tennessee passed a law where coaches can now be involved in NIL when the general sense in the rules was coaches can't be involved in inducement. And this is the problem is that, well, where's the NCAA in all this? They've taken the back seat. They said they were. Once they got their you-know-what stand of them in court, they said, no thanks. We'll let you guys decide this. They had a chance to be involved in this conversation. They had a chance to be involved in things like, all right, how do we make, make sure that uh, in big bowl games, Kenny Pickett and Kenneth Walker play? Can we find NIL solutions to make sure those, those guys are going to play in the big bowl games as opposed to, you know, taking a back seat and saying, no, we're going to sit back and y'all handle this how y'all want to handle this. They had their opportunity. They just never were interested in taking it, and that's why now you're seeing NIL take off the way it is, and there seems to be no end in sight. There was a way to handle this. They just did not didn't put themselves in a position to do it. Most of spring football has come to an end across the Big 12, or all of spring football has come to an end in the Big 12. Other than Oklahoma having 75,000 people at their spring game, who made the biggest step forward in spring football, do you believe? Well, uh, I think it happened last night in your all's neck of the woods when I saw Sikkim 365 had the report we discussed last night on, the, on, the, on our podcast. Uh, Blake Shapin, it sounds like, is going to be the quarterback at Baylor. And I, I, I think it's a great decision. Um, you know, I've, I've been saying this a bunch that I think as good as Gary was last year, as Gary Bohannon was, as, um, you know, as much of a, as, as good of a leader as he was, and it sounds like by all accounts, the team really liked him, players really liked him. I think in a year where you lose two great players like Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie on defense, and you return a lot of offensive line, but you're not sure what's going to happen for you at the skill positions. You've got some questions there. The offense needs to be elevated this year. It cannot be kind of a passenger, uh, kind of the same way, especially the passing offense. The passing offense was kind of a passenger, if you will, along the ride for Baylor last year. That needs to step itself up, and you're getting a guy that, you know, in, in a start last year, set the record for most completions ever in a Big 12 championship game. And that is a really talented player in Blake Shapin, and I think he elevates the ceiling for their offense. I also think Dave Aranda was being very fair in an age and a time when coaches want to make sure they can maintain as much talent as possible and they'll put on faux position battles to ensure that guys won't hit the portal. Dave Aranda is being fair to everybody involved. 
The team knows who the guy is. The guys know who the guy is, and now they know where their opportunities lie. So Gary might stay and stick it out. He might go and leave, but I love the fact that it sounds like Dave Aranda from all the reporting was having conversations individually with the players so everybody knew where they stand. I appreciate his honesty, and I think that gives everybody the you know clear eyes forward for what the right path is for them and the team. Okay, Josh, if Gary decides to hit the portal, what is it? Do you have like look at the look at the landscape of college football? Is there a landing spot that you think he would be ideally fit for? Oh, there are plenty of teams that could use that could use a Gary Bohannon. Um, Arizona State is really interesting to me. I know for you know I, I've actually had the, the chance to work on the the Pac-12 channel recently as a producer at SiriusXM, and I, the the one the one you know it, it's great to kind of move around and hear what people have to say. Um, Arizona State is not lost, but the one you know they are pretty tight in the group of everything that's going on with Herm Edwards. They could really use a quarterback though. Their, their options right now aren't too great. And I think that's somewhere they could use a steadying hand, somebody who is a leader to help them kind of move forward. So I think a place like an Arizona State, maybe a Cal, a Colorado is somewhere uh, that he could go. I, I, I don't know if there's any options, at least in the Big 12 that I see, but, um, you know, places like Missouri was in on, uh, you know, a guy like a JT Daniels in Oregon State was in on a JT Daniels. Not sure of how, you know, how interested those places would be. Um, you know, obviously, there are other places, you know, in the ACC could go. I think in the Big Ten, too, you know, maybe a uh, Rutgers or an Illinois, uh, you know, teams kind of in that vein. Maybe even in Iowa, right? You know, Iowa's uh, at Spencer Petras there, and it's, it's not really worked out too much. It's really Gary Bohannon, you know, they want a game manager. You'd be getting a, get a better game manager than Spencer Petras and Gary Bohannon, definitely a better athlete, and that's top 25 program. So I think there are a lot of potential options for a guy like a Gary Bohannon. And once again, this guy has a Big 12 championship in his back pocket. He is one of the reasons they went there. He did help them do a Sugar Bowl win as well. This guy is a good leader. He's a good player. He's just not got the upside, I think, in the immediate that uh, Blake Shapin has. But I think he's got opportunities, especially the Power 5 level. And I was going to ask – could you see Gary staying and, and being a part of this thing? And one of the things that we talked about, Josh, is is there a package for him where he's on the field with Blake at the same time? Is he an age? Could it, you know, a while? I mean, could you, could you foresee that if he elected to stay? Yeah. I mean, he might really like it there. And I think people in that community still might, you know, we talked to NIL a second ago. Why not somebody say, look, Gary, you meant a lot to us. And, you know, um, as a team, you know, we see the way you work, and if you want to get on the field, we'll find ways for you to get on the field, man. We'll we'll find ways, and if, if you put the work in, we'll put the work in to make sure you do. And I'm sure people in the community will see that, and they'll respond to that very positively. Uh, we've seen that happen before, you know. Or he might stay in that role, and, and Dave Aranda might say, I need you to stay ready. Um, and, you know, I, I just think it's interesting to see what he elects to do. But I, you know, I'm not, you guys are much closer to this than I am, but it's my belief that he's kind of earned the opportunity, the respect to try whatever he wants to try, just because he is, you know, he's he's a he's a competitor and, and he's, he's done a lot for that program and that team, and was the starting quarterback for Dave Aranda's massive turnaround season. So I think he's earned 
the respect of everybody there, and I think he's earned the right to make his decision. I think everybody's going to respect that decision no matter what it is. Hey, finally, I wanted to pass along to you, and I don't know if you, if you knew this or not, but Lincoln Riley did not invent OU football. I heard. I heard <laughs> you know, Wasn't was that great? <laughs> well, you know, Bob, Bob Stoops is awesome. He is, he's a treasure, and I, I love, you know, I just it seems like whenever I, I see videos of the Oklahoma State Senate or whatever the hell it is, uh, they're always talking about Lincoln Riley. I know they had the, the situation of talking about naming the highway after him, but no, I think Bob has been spot on with the with you know he's that, that's been his message, and that's kind of the first time I think he's actually mentioned Lincoln by name in that context. So I'm glad he did. Like he's like you know it, it, it's a message that OU fans need to hear because they're still not totally over what happened uh, yet. But that was amazing. I mean, how, how great is Bob Stoops? Hey, what are you working on for the podcast? Yeah, I'm going to have an episode out today about Mark Emmerich, and they're going to have one out about Blake Shapin as well. And then look ahead to the NFL draft and uh, wrap up some spring football stuff. Josh, as always, it is a pleasure, man. We appreciate it. Yep, talk to you guys next time. That is uh, Josh Neighbors, and the uh, podcast is locked on Big 12.